Guido's victim impact statement has been heard around the world. It made its impact well beyond the courtroom in California. And at this point, Brock Turner is in jail. But why is it that Chanel cannot seem to just be free? See, that's the thing about a sexual assault survivor who does report, who does press charges, who does testify, who does see her rapist convicted. Even the victories do not take away the trauma. There is a certain carefree feeling that was stripped from me the night of the assault, she writes. How to distinguish spontaneity from recklessness. How to prove nudity is not synonymous with promiscuity. Where's the line between caution and paranoia? This is what I'm mourning. This is what I do not know how to get back. Still, I keep those memories close and remember it is possible to be naked amongst men and not be asking for it. Even something as intimate and personal as sex was ruined for her. It is as if, as a society, we expect rape survivors to be sexless, as if they can no longer want it again. When sex is used to assault someone, to reign over someone, dominate and overpower them, enjoying sex for what it is can almost seem impossible. Even the term sexual assault is misleading, as Chanel says herself, because it seemed to be less about sex, more about taking. Sexual assault is stealing, she writes. One-sided wants the feeling of overriding the other. Real sex was meant to be an exchange, the power shifting back and forth, responsive and fluid and playful, the pleasure of paying attention, actively engaging with your partner. When it comes to rape trials, the pivotal question is whether consent was issued or not. Did he ask for her consent? Did she say yes? Did she actually say no? So binary, so fixed, so black and white. It's as if there's a single traffic light and there are only two options, red or green. But as Chanel points out, sex is a road lined with intersection. Which way to go, when to slow down, to yield, to speed up. So the journey to be at home with her body again, not only when it comes to sex, was one Chanel went on even after the trial. She shares how yoga helped her find power and agency in her body. She writes, Being fully inside my body makes me feel beautiful, powerful, makes me want to be consumed, to share the all the small parts of me. Eventually, she found her way back into enjoying sex by, as she put it, starting small and savoring the little things, like the simplicity of sleeping next to her partner. Sex is this feeling unpilled, she says. Personally, it resonated with me that she liked the term lovemaking to describe sex for it is, quote, bodies churning and creating sweat and heat 
until love is actually made. Bing 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 appears like glistening pink lights that float and drift above the bed as you lie back, skin glimmering, end quote. Little by little, Chanel became more and more Chanel, not just Emily. She was learning to unclench her fists, so to speak. She started to spend her time not always having to figure out how to survive. She could just be. At this point in the memoir, as Chanel gives us glimpses of what she did to go, to go through her personal journey, she also holds up a mirror to show what the social-political climate was like at the time of her journey of healing after the assault and the trial. Chanel's story is one of many in our society's rape culture altered, well, culture. Rape culture is much more than Chanel's experience, and the Brock Turners of the world are not the only problem. She draws a line that connects the actions and words of someone like Brock Turner and those of Donald Trump in the infamous Access Hollywood tapes. We live in a time where it has become difficult to distinguish between the president's words and that of a 19-year-old assailant, she writes. In relation to this, Chanel points out the way in which double standards are, again, at play. As she says, quote, Society gives women the near-impossible task of separating harmlessness from danger. The foresight of knowing what some men are capable of. When we call out assault as we hear it, Trump says, I don't think you understand. Just words. You're overreacting, overly offended, hysterical, rude. Relax. So we dismiss threatening statements and warning signs, apologizing for our paranoia. We go into a party or meeting thinking it's just a party or meeting. But when we are taken advantage of, and come crawling back damaged, they say. How could you be so naive? You failed to detect danger. Let your guard down. What did you think would happen? Trump made it clear the game is rigged. The rules keep changing. It doesn't matter what you think is assault. Because in the end, he decides. End quote. And it's not just the injustice around rape that Chanel looks into. She weaves the thread on the similarities in injustices of the death of unarmed black people in America. She highlights Brock's white privilege as she reflects on the murder of Philando Castile, who was shot by a police officer on July 6, 2016, a month after the victim impact statement was released. Much of Brock's defense team focused on his lost potential. His lost promise, as his future was waiting for him to meet it. I guess when you are a white, cisgender, straight man in America, it's easy for that to be painted that way. For so long, the narrative around rape is that when a woman cries rape and decides to go for help, she is attacking the rapist. We rarely think that the fallout, the consequences, that befall the assailant 
is secondary only to the victim's primary motive of seeking help. Chanel reminds us frankly, and I quote, When society questions a victim's reluctance to report, I will be here to remind you that you ask us to sacrifice our sanity to go fight outdated structures that were designed to keep us down. Victims do not have the time for this. Victims are also students, teachers, parents, who can't give up work or education. It is not reasonable to casually demand that victims put aside their lives to spend more time pursuing something they never asked for in the first place. This is not about the victim's lack of effort. This is about society's failure to have systems in place in which victims feel there's a probable chance of achieving safety, justice, and restoration rather than being re-traumatized, publicly shamed, psychologically tormented, and verbally mauled. The real question we need to be asking is not, why didn't you report? The question is, why would you? At this point in our social-cultural landscape, two words echoed around the world. When women came out with their Me Too stories, the questions that often came along with it were often along the lines of, why is she only speaking about it now? What does she want? What took her so long to say something? We should be asking the real questions. Why do we live in a world that forces her into silence? Why do we have systems in place that fail those who are in their her position and do speak out? Victims are often accused of seeking revenge. But revenge is a tiny engine, Chanel says in relation to Me Too. I know better than to think my peace arrives when the gavel hits, when the handcuffs click shut. He may sit in the cell, but he will never know what it's like to be unhomed from his own body. We don't fight for our own happy endings. We fight to say, you can't. We fight for accountability. We fight to establish precedent. We fight because we pray we'll be the last one to feel this kind of pain. Mm-hmm.